to chapter four of the mask by florence irwin this LibriVox recording is in the public domain the approach of christmas saddened alison how could it fail to it was the first christmas she had ever spent away from home her mind turned back to coningsboro with its clean snowstorms its innocent mysteries its busy preparations for christmas trees in church and home and its excitement over the new year's eve assembly elsa and gertrude were to be the bride patronesses gertrude would probably be resplendent in some wonderful french creation and what a christmas she would have unlimited money to spend two adoring stepchildren on whom to shower gifts a husband who was convinced that the sun rose and set in her eyes and all her loved ones save one around her but she'll miss me alison assured herself there won't be a minute of the day when she isn't thinking of me nor one when i'm not thinking of her bless her dear heart but one short year from last christmas and it seemed an eternity alison remembered the merry sleighing party out to rawle's farm to dress that elaborate tree for his sleeping tots she remembered the happy day that ensued the glad christmas greetings called all over the house the squeals and exclamations of delight at the various gifts and the beautiful christmas service in the old dimly lit odorous church then the christmas dinner over which delia and ellen had labored with such pains the short afternoon and the jolly game-filled evening how different would be her day this year she might awaken phil with a merry christmas but the chances were that she would slip out quietly to an early service leaving him in bed and that the only morning sounds in her home would be the muffled ones of her quiet toilet a year a lifetime hadn't she and gertrude both found their mates hadn't all three of the terry girls fared out to meet their fate hadn't they discovered the difference between real life and that happy innocent conception of it that they used to consider so wise didn't the old rectory which had sheltered them during all the years that they could remember now echo lonesomely to measured middle-aged steps where were the dancing feet the girlish laughter the youthful problems that once seemed so ponderous and important to think of it she and elsa and gertrude and their parents would all awaken in different homes the day would already be quite old before the rest of them could greet each other with christmas kisses and she alison would forfeit hers entirely in new york the shops and streets all wore christmas garb but the only christmas spirit that was evident was the extra spirit of russian terror counters could hardly be approached because of the pressing throngs patient shop-girls looked fagged to death women's voices were strained and snappy poor children and cripples begged everywhere for contributions for christmas boxes and the tinkling tambourines of salvation army girls called for remembrance of the christmas poor it was safe to say that in coningsboro not one soul would fail to have a real christmas it was probably safe to say that in new york christmas would mean nothing at all to two-thirds of its dwellers alison's gifts had all been dispatched in due season and as the corresponding home packages reached her she put them carefully away not to be uncovered until christmas day dawned but on the afternoon of the twenty-fourth a large wooden box arrived 
and it was marked to be opened immediately. Lacking proper tools, Alison and Phil labored over it for some time before they succeeded in prying off its lid. Then, as Alison unpacked the contents, the tears rained down her face. Look, Phil, she cried, and her voice shook. Look, oh, look, what those dear people have done. The darlings, the blessings. They wanted to feel that we came as near as possible to having our Christmas dinner with them. The roast turkey was marked from mother, a bottle of old port from father, some mince and pumpkin pies from Delia, a black fruit cake from Ellen, a lot of hothouse fruit, including some wonderful black Hamburg grapes from Gertrude and Kenneth, and a box of beautiful bonbons from Elsa and Roscoe. Not even the home gifts, still lying in their wrappers, could touch the faraway member of the family circle as did this box of goodies. It was the spirit of it that brought her tears, the intimacy, the old-fashioned hominess. Do you believe that anyone else in the city has had a gift like this? she asked. A remembrance from every soul that ever lived under the home roof. I don't. Let them keep their gems and their furs and their motors. I'd rather have this box than anything in the world. Oh, Phil! Now we'll eat our Christmas dinner at home instead of in a restaurant, won't we? As a matter of fact, as the winter wore on, the restaurant meals came to pall considerably on the girl. Their novelty was gone, and their sameness was wearing. Although served in different establishments and listed under various fancy names, everything came to taste alike. The trouble was in the lack of home cooking and seasoning. No amount of garnishing ever gave a joint the same flavor as constant and careful basting. No fowls had the juicy flesh of the milk-fattened home-killed chickens at the rectory. No omelets were as puffy and as tempting as those that Delia turned out. The weather, too, grew more uncertain. There were many stormy nights when no meal would have coaxed the girl away from her fireside and into storm-coat and overshoes. She began to bring in steaks and chops and oysters, and to practice cooking them at home for the evening meal, and the innovation proved an attractive one. One snowy day she had taken her outing in the morning, and had come in at luncheon time, rosy and exhilarated. Wet skirts and shoes had necessitated a change into house-gown and slippers, and that made Alison began to feel that it would be very cosy not to be obliged to face the weather again. She curled herself up with a book in a big chair near the window, and gave herself over to the dreamy delight of watching the ever-thickening snowflakes and just thinking. About four o'clock Phil began to struggle into his greatcoat, Oh, Phil, said his wife, looking up, are you going out? Yes, I have to. Why? Do you want anything? Indeed I do. I want to dine at home tonight. Would you mind bringing in a nice juicy steak? You won't have to carry it far. All right. It would be better than going out. Anything else you want? No, we have all that we need. Be sure to make them give you a good cut, a thick one, you know. I will. I may not be back till nearly seven, Al. That's all right. It doesn't take long to cook a steak. I'll have everything else ready. He stooped over and kissed her lightly on the forehead. You look mighty sweet, he said, with one of his rare compliments. Your walk has given you a wonderful color. 
and your hair is so pretty he touched it lightly as he spoke his wife was nearly as much surprised as she would have been if he had struck her of late he had always taken her good looks for granted after he had gone she fell to wondering whether it could possibly be her own fault that his praises were so rare would another woman in her place have been able to elicit them more often she was deep in her reverie when the tinkle of the doorbell broke in on it it was not a welcome sound she was having a lovely time all to herself phil's friends were liable to appear any time after three o'clock in the afternoon their mornings were apparently given to rest or to work but by three o'clock they began to wander and they kept it up most of the night alison went to the door and faced keppner oh she exclaimed what a pity phil has just gone out fifteen minutes earlier and you would have caught him really replied the man well perhaps you will let me come in just the same the storm is simply wild and your fire looks very inviting she didn't want him at all there was no one that she wanted less but there was no help for it so she bade him welcome with what warmth she could muster although she sat down he did not he divested himself of his wraps and began to wander nervously around the room responding rather abstractedly to her remarks invited to smoke he declined and conversation was in a fair way of languishing the day was darkening fast and the shadows threw the firelight into stronger relief keppner eventually paused in his restless march and stood near one of the windows come here a minute he said and his voice sounded odd to her ears what is it she asked without moving something in the street that i want to show you he responded without a second thought she rose and crossed to his side the moment she was near him he turned and grabbed her there was no other word for it and folded her in his arms as in a vice her strength was nothing against his and he was apparently deaf to her startled cry held by those horrible arms clasped to that horrible body she was as powerless as a baby her struggles were of less avail than those of a fly in the enmeshing web she couldn't scream it would be useless there was no one to hear her she was alone in the house with this loathsome beast what was he going to do she had no hope except the force of her will if that failed her there was nothing else if you dare to hurt me she said wildly if you dare to raise a finger to harm me i swear to you that i will tell my husband everything the moment he comes in take your arms away let me go you are a brute a beast let go of me at once he seemed not even to hear her releasing one hand he passed it rapidly and repeatedly over her body holding her close the while and swaying backwards and forwards with her in his arms from first to last he spoke never a word only his breath came audibly and he inhaled deeply the girl was conscious of no detail at the moment but afterwards she remembered every slightest one with sickening clearness her companion's eyes were closed his nostrils swelled and sank like the flanks of a panting animal his face was death-like oriental horrible 
his mask had fallen after what seemed like an eternity his grasp slackened and with a sudden twist she wrested herself free fleet as a hunted animal she flew to her bedroom and turned the key in the lock she was safe safe but polluted she felt as if she would never again be clean never again decent nor innocent as she paced up and down her room her nails broke the skin of her palms and she fell to weeping and then to shaking as though in an ague she heard no sound in the rest of the house until after some twenty minutes the front door banged but she wouldn't go out it might be a trap never would she unlock that door until her husband spoke to her through it at the thought of phil her mind started off in another direction she must tell him she must confess although she was innocent she must have him forbid keppner the house and at the very moment that she was making these vehement protestations she knew that what she wanted to do was impossible intuitively she realized that phil would never give her credit for her clean-handedness he would say that no man could so outrage a woman unless she had given him cause he would side with his filthy friend against his own wife and he would continue to punish her for a thing she had not done and to suspect her forever of attempting to repeat it she knew he would and she was right by the time an hour had passed she had wisely decided to lock the vile secret within her own heart there was a small bouquet of fresh violets in the room using the water in the vase she bathed her eyes and carefully powdered their reddened lids by the time she heard her husband's voice she was fairly mistress of herself why in thunder is the place so dark he asked irritably here i am barking my shins on half a dozen chairs have you been asleep no she replied but i have been in my room resting her voice was not quite natural he looked at her curiously as the light flashed on what is the matter with your eyes he asked roughly i have been crying she answered as steadily as she could and if you talk about it i shall probably begin again i am only a woman and i don't treat you to many tears well cut it out he growled if there's one thing i despise more than another it's a hysterical female here's your steak the work of preparing the meal helped alison to regain her self-control she wasn't hungry and she ate next to nothing but the crisis was past. About half-past eight there was a ring, and Phil answered it. Alison could hear his voice in greeting. Hello, old man. Glad to see you. Come on in. And presently he returned to the room with Kepner. Alison could scarcely believe her own eyes. She had supposed that Kepner would certainly absent himself for a long time possibly that he would never again cross their threshold and here he was back again in three hours after the first shocked glance she never looked at him again and never addressed him this was not as noticeable as might be supposed because phil and his guest were both talking volubly pouring drinks lighting cigarettes selecting chairs and so on 
the moment keppner sat down alison rose and left the room finding that she did not return her husband came to seek her at the end of an hour or so what are you doing al writing do you want me not especially but keppner wants to know what night next week we will dine with him at delmonico's of all the incredible impertinence alison braced herself for the coming struggle i will not go at all she said quietly you won't go why of course you will what is the matter with you to-night anyhow don't raise your voice phil it will do no good and our disagreements are no one's else affair look me straight in the eyes straight there now listen i won't go anywhere with mr keppner either now or at any other time is that quite plain damn you he snarled angrily damn you i shan't carry that message you can do it yourself very well i will walking straight into the living-room she stood near the door and turned her face toward keppner she looked at him squarely my husband mr keppner has delivered your invitation it will be impossible for me to accept it either now or at any other time and she walked back to her bedroom she was furious to think of that beast seeking to compromise her pride by trapping her into accepting his hospitality not much after quite a long time she heard the sounds of keppner's departure and her husband's voice saying no i won't come with you now i'll join you in less than an hour good night old man come soon again this last his wife knew well was a challenge to her presently the door closed and her husband's footsteps approached the bedroom he entered and stood looking at her as if he could kill her now then you blank he thundered and the word that he used was one that she had never heard now then there is no one to overhear us perhaps you will deign to explain to me by what right you insult my friend in my house your house yes my house by blank what do you mean by such behavior phil be quiet you cannot intimidate me stop a moment and reflect whether it would pay you to force me to leave your house when i do every penny of your income ceases as you very well know as to mr keppner he issued an invitation not a royal command an invitation may be accepted or declined at will his will always be declined when extended to me you are a damned snob you are afraid to be seen with him in public i have been seen with him in public didn't i go to chinatown with him that's just it you'll sneak down there and let him spend money on you because you know that no one will see you but when it comes to going to a fashionable restaurant you're afraid you poor sniveling snob afraid of his race just like all the rest of the damned so-called christians that i have ever seen phil howland if you don't stop swearing i will leave this house and go to a hotel and to-morrow i'll return to coningsboro what do you mean by mr keppner's race isn't he of the same race as we sweet miss innocence he sneered don't try that game on me 
it won't work. You know as well as I do about Kepner's race. I do not. That is a lie. The girl rose as white as death. Never before in her whole life had she been accused of lying. Phillips Howland, she said, look at me. If you ever speak to me again in that way, I swear that you shall regret it. There is no other question between us now, simply that. I will not be spoken to as you have just spoken. Remember, and now leave this room, or I will. She never knew at what hour that night her husband returned. He slept in his clothes in the living room, and he was still sleeping there when she rose the next morning. He was surly and silent all day, and she was stiff and silent. Bit by bit, as the days passed, the unnaturalness wore away, but the experience was never forgotten by either the husband or the wife. To Alison's unspeakable surprise, Kepner made his appearance again at the end of some days. He was uproariously greeted by Phil, and calmly greeted by Phil's wife. Before long things had settled back into their old routine as far as outward appearances went. But there was never another tete-a-tete -tete interview between Kepner and the wife of his friend. And the more Alison thought about his attitude, the more puzzled did she become. Had the man no pride? He acted like a cringing cur, crawling back to lick the foot that had kicked him. End of Book 2 Chapter 4